Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. I hope everyone is staying safe and listening to the scientist. Hear what I said. Listen to the scientist. Scientists rule. I want everyone to be safe. And I have to send a special greeting out to two of my friends, Gang Yang and Richard Roberts. Gang Yang Cho and Richard Roberts. Uh, they, Gang Yang is in South Korea. Richard is in Japan, actually in Okinawa. They both work for the U.S. State Department. And when I spoke around the world um, several years ago now, I still do, but I spoke there about the employment of people with disabilities and the value of people with disabilities. These two are heroes of mine. I mean, they work so hard to include people with disabilities in what they do. So special shout out to both of you. I know what's going on in your countries. Please be safe. And to the other listeners around the world, I know we have listeners in 17 different countries. And I know in China, which is our second largest listening audience after the United States, what you've been going through. And and just know... To all of my brothers and sisters with disabilities, we are thinking about you, and thank you so much for listening to the show. Also, my good friend, Yoshiko Dart, right here in the United States. Yoshiko, special shout out to you. In case you don't know, her late husband was Justin Dart Jr., um, our, our great general that helped get the ADA signed. So, shout-outs to all of you. Hi, Mark. People's Natural Gas, Wells Fargo, and the Employment Options. Thank you for sponsoring this show. You know, Hi, Mark has sponsored this show now for four years. What a great company. And David Holmberg, CEO, thank you for your support. Well, I am very excited about the show today um, because I have had so many people with disabilities that have service animals talking to me, asking me different questions, and of course people without disabilities that have uh, pets asking me questions about COVID and all of the shows, as you know, over the past several weeks have been on the impact of COVID for people with disabilities, whether they are deaf or have a mental health disabilities, disability or have an intellectual disability. I have been very, very, very uh, focused on trying to help through this radio show. And now today, as I said, to answer a lot of those questions, we have, if you were here in Pennsylvania, we have the best vet there is. And by the way, my doctor, my veterinarian, who, because she was able to help Jasmine and Buddy, she is a superstar to me. She is awesome. And we were able to... uh 
get her on this radio show. And this woman is so busy with her practice that that was hard to do. Um, And Cynthia Morrow, veterinarian from Cranberry Holistic Pet Care with another facility in Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Uh, Welcome to the show, Dr. Morrow. It's truly a pleasure to have you as our guest And, you know, all throughout the world, people have pets. So this will probably be my most listened to show over the past 16 years. But it is truly a pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thank you. And it's wonderful to be here because it's so nice to have the opportunity to educate people about more options for health and hope and happiness shared with your pets because really they're a godsend especially during this time where so many people are isolated uh, with their pets at their home. And so this is just a pleasure uh, for me as well. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, So let's start with you telling our listeners why you decided to become a veterinarian. Since we have listeners all around the world, I'm sure that's a question they would be interested in you answering. Okay, well, I grew up on a farm, and I have six siblings. Uh, We had all sorts of animals on the farm growing up in Ohio, and I had uh, the, I think it's, um, you know, one of the best mentors and veterinarians. I grew up with him, and he's a brother who's 10 years older than I am, uh, and he had an incredible number of animals, uh, so I was exposed to early care husbandry as well as uh, uh, taking care of the animals while he was away in college and veterinary school uh, from a very early age. Uh, I was nine when I took over all of the husbandry practices on the farm, and many times was the person giving injections and uh, foaling horses and, and calves. And uh, so I got early exposure and I found it a greatly rewarding experience to be able to help those animals and uh, ease suffering, help them in their uh, care, especially when they were ill. Uh, so I knew I had a passion and a desire to help that way. Uh, when I was in college, I did explore the human medical field and I truly felt that the best way to um, facilitate uh, human health is by helping the animals that are so often the support for the humans in the household. And I have found over the 33 years in practice that uh, my clients, the bond I have with the owners is often much greater uh, than it would be if I was in a human medical practice. So I find it rewarding on both levels, helping the animal and thereby helping the owners. Uh, So that desire to help and heal has always been a part of my life. Oh, I'm not surprised because you are such an awesome person. But, yeah, I'm sure it starts like that for, it would have to start like that for many people to become uh, veterinarians. This love of animals and growing up with animals, especially on a farm. Uh, And, you know, I grew up in a rural area, uh, so I know what you're referring to. But I did not pursue that career because, like, I'm really not good at doing all the stuff you have to do when you're a vet. Like, I'm beginning with even the injection. So, like, that's not me. Lucky we have people like you. So, yeah. Dr. Morrow, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Morrow um, you are in holistic medicine. I have a little story I have to tell everyone. Okay. And this is why I wanted her Uh, Because she's a very good person, and she's very truthful. And I had her on, uh, I I had met her 
Well, because Jasmine, my Yorkie, was having a very difficult, suddenly difficult time walking. And I was petrified when this happened. And I will not name this, of course, but I went to this one practice where the vet looked at me and said, well, I hope everything will work out. Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying you have to consider euthanasia right now. I said, what? And I, I started to cry hysterically. I mean, I, 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 the thought of this was overwhelming to me. So now I hear about this Dr. Mara. And I go to her. I'm crying when I first meet her, telling her about Jasmine. And she looked at me and said, well, what makes you think we won't be able to help Jasmine? And guess what, folks? She did. Problem went away. I mean, she still has issues, I'm sure, but you would never believe how this was amazing how this happened. Um, And that wasn't yesterday, by the way. This was a while ago, and here Jasmine's still fine. But just that whole orientation that she had when I met her, and as I said, I know you're in holistic medicine. What what does that mean? And also, could you just tell our listeners about your practice? Yes, I will. Uh, I actually am the senior staff clinician at three veterinary practices, which I own and operate. Uh, One is in Elwood City, Elwood Animal Hospital. Uh, That was my first clinic. I opened there in 1987. Uh, I have an office also in Chippewa Township in Pennsylvania, and then uh, Cranberry Holistic Pet Care. Many people think that holistic means alternative medicine, and uh, that's just a small part of it. Holistic care means treating the patient and the underlying causes rather than suppressing symptoms with medications. And I find uh, I started in uh, emergency medicine. I operated my clinic as a 24-hour emergency practice uh, from uh, 1987 to 1996. And then I started reducing hours for emergencies for patients only until midnight and uh, instead of being there around the clock. And in the early days, I was usually there around the clock. Um, I lived above my original clinic. And uh, I, I think that afforded me a great opportunity to see both the beauty of Western medicine and the limitations of Western medicine. So when I'm treating, uh, and most illness is chronic, many illnesses are related to nutrition. Uh, and uh, if we just treat with drug therapy, let's say we're treating allergies uh, in dogs and cats for chronic ear infections, which can be a manifestation of allergies, we can use medications like antibiotics, and uh, we can even try diet change. However, if we don't treat the underlying allergic reaction, and I'm not talking about, I used to do intradermal testing for allergies, there's blood allergy testing, but most of the time, Western medicine uh, says, well, just do avoidance of all allergens. That alone does not make a healthier body. Using treatments and techniques which help alter the immune system and uh, utilize things like immunotherapy and an alternative treatment uh, with the initials NAET, I have found to be greatly rewarding because they not only can correct the allergic uh, situation in the body, uh, whether it's physical or emotional or a combination of both, but it helps with cellular processes to create a healthier immune system. And as a positive side effect uh, in treating a lot of these patients with chronic allergies, I've seen things like tumors go away, 
autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or pemphigus actually clear up and we can remove medication uh, from the patient and actually wean them off their medications. So uh, it has a hugely satisfying results. When clients want to get solutions, then we integrate other forms of medicine. So in our practices, we combine Western medicine with many alternative modalities to try to achieve long-term healing. And in some cases, patients are able to come off medications, but in many other cases, if they've been on medications for a long time, uh, sometimes we can't get them fully off medication, but we get them to a higher state of health and healthfulness. Oh, that's a that's a very good. Uh, I I don't think people understand what holistic medicine is. So I I mean I don't they don't people don't realize that you do practice medicine, but there's this alternative. So I'm glad yes. that you explained that because I don't think yes. a lot of people yes. understand what that is. Actually, uh, well, many 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 healthcare professionals, including veterinarians, do not understand. And I just uh, I have a position open for an integrative practitioner in my veterinary office currently. And I just interviewed a veterinarian who was trained as a traditional Western vet and has an advanced degree in acupuncture. And she came in my practice and said to me, "Oh, I thought you only did holistic medicine. I don't I didn't know you did other things." And uh, we had to have a philosophical talk about what holistic or integrative medicine is. So there's even misconceptions within the healthcare world, and I think that leads to a lot of uh, bad advice giving, uh, whether it's on the human medicine side or the veterinary side, where people who don't have that additional training really don't have a good idea of the scope of this care. Well, I'm glad you explained that. And uh, trust me, if you go to one of those three practices, I'm sorry if you don't live... Uh, in Pennsylvania, but let me tell you, if you did, if you went to one of these three practices, it is packed. I mean, it she is packed all the time. You know, <laughs> it, it is amazing how busy she is. I'll never forget this one gentleman, and I wish I could describe his pet. I won't be able to. It was a larger dog, but he told me he had been coming for years to you for treatment of his uh, animal, um, and you know, it seems like you have a lot of people like that to follow follow you. But I want to get to the talk about the COVID-19. As I said, I have people with disabilities that have service animals, but then, of course, we have people without disabilities that have pets. I always call pets kids with long hair because, let's face it, this is like your child when you have a pet that you love so much Um But people are worried right now. Like we had listeners call me because they're worried that, you know, they saw on TV, you know, whenever that tiger had uh, COVID-19 and uh, somewhere they talked about, I think, a cat having this. So I've had people asking me, oh, you know, can you get infected from your animal? Because there are people... Like, you know, if they're blind, for example, can they get an infection from their dog or there are other types of service animals, whatever it may be. Uh, But I wanted to uh, ask you, how worried should owners be about the coronavirus and also and can that be passed on to the owner and or can the owner pass that on to their pet? So. Um, At this stage, we know that 
humans can pass COVID to some animals, or at least there have been a few cases. But I will preface this whole thing by saying for the last several months, two veterinary labs, and they're the largest vet labs in the country, have been doing surveillance testing. And surveillance testing means, unbeknownst to Uh, other veterinarians and myself, during this early stage of COVID, uh, the uh, two labs, IDEX and Antec Laboratories, were taking samples that were submitted for animals having uh, respiratory diseases or gastrointestinal symptoms, and they were just uh, adding in uh, some COVID surveillance testing. And in thousands of samples, they did not come up with any positive cases. So this is not something that is rampant in the uh, animal community, and uh, and uh, there are some tests available, and they're for very select cases uh, for for veterinarians to use, but we have to carefully screen because we don't want to be using these tests kind of willy-nilly. And uh, the first thing we would want to do if an animal presents with respiratory signs is to rule out about 30 other possibilities, both infectious and um, uh, like uh, allergic uh, symptoms and as well as things like uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema, uh, allergic bronchitis, all these types of things can cause respiratory symptoms. So it is much more likely if a pet has respiratory signs, it has some other disease process. And if it has an infectious agent, it is still much more likely that it is one of the viruses or bacterial infections that are common to animals. Uh, the other cases that have been reported were uh, uh, exclusive of one. Uh, all they ha- The animals had been exposed to a known or suspected COVID-infected human. So it's more likely that a human who's infected with a pet up in the face, maybe sneezing and transmitting bodily fluids, would uh, transmit the virus to a cat or a dog, or it is possible to transmit to a ferret as well. But these have been very, very uh, sporadic cases that have popped up. So it's very rare. It's infrequent. But just in case, if that would happen, what what should someone look for? Well, uh, the animals that we've known about have had uh, respiratory signs, uh, some sneezing, some coughing. Coughing seems like it was the most uh, reported sign. And uh, the animals recovered uneventfully. Uh, There was a dog, I I believe it was a dog that was 17 years old in uh, one of the, I believe it was the case in in Hong Kong, that uh, was ill from other things, other degenerative diseases that did pass, but it was felt that it was not related to COVID in the case report that I had read. And I've been trying to keep up with all these case reports uh, through our veterinary information uh, and news system that we use as professionals, uh, but I have not seen anything that was a primary case or a primary cause of death. So people okay. should not be in a panic over their pets, but if they have symptoms of any respiratory disease, we can all share bacteria and bacterial infections and uh, be for, from people to animals. So even if you don't have COVID, uh, first, it's not a great idea to be kissing and having the pet in your face. Uh, we want to use the same 
uh, hygiene procedures that we're using for ourselves to prevent spread and transmission of disease all the time, but especially now with COVID, to be uh, washing our hands frequently and not having pets up in, in our faces. And if you think you may be coming down or you've been exposed to somebody with COVID, uh, really limit your interactions with the pet. Okay, well, that's good advice. So I want you to hear the first part, Dr. Mara said, don't panic. You know, don't, you're hearing from a uh, scientist here now, not from me, don't panic. And this is not frequent. So, uh, you know, obviously, if any pet of yours would start, you know, having respiratory issues, I'm sure you would go to the vet. So that's what would happen anyway. But, you know, this is... This is not frequent. You heard it from uh, the doctor. So I'm glad that you uh, explained that. Um, And Dr. Morrow, before we go on, I wanted to bring something up. You mentioned, you know, I'm on the national board of the Bazelon Center on Mental Health Policy. And many people with uh, depression or bipolar disorder or whatever, Uh, anxiety disorders, whatever it is, are really, some of them having a very difficult time while they are isolated. You know, what is your view of a pet helping during that time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the more interaction we have with others, including animals, the healthier our our mental health and emotional outlook are. And um, I see pets being very instrumental way before COVID. I've often had instances where I've known a um, an elderly client has as their only companion a pet, and I really uh, always have con- great concerns when I know that pet is aging. And I, uh, you know, I've seen in my own neighborhoods an elderly person out for their daily walk. When that pet passes, if they don't have other emotional support in place. Um, I usually see a rapid decline in uh, not just physical health, but also mental health. And uh, we need that stimulation. Uh, We're not intended to be isolated beings. Uh, We need to receive and give love and affection. And I think that pets fulfill that on many, many levels. So that's a good thing then. That's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Um, but I, I have to say, sometimes I, I see people um, doting, obsessing, and with their own emotional fear-based reactions to the world can negatively impact the animal. And so we, we all have to remember uh, to have hope, do things logically, take care of our health. And I feel strongly that uh, on the human side, uh, many of the people where we're hearing a perfectly healthy person uh, succumb to the virus, um, and I'm not saying that hasn't happened, but what is perfect health? And that's what in integrative medicine we're all looking at, uh, is uh, perfect health, getting up and eating a sugar donut every morning for breakfast and you know putting four packets of sugar in our coffee, even though you may look normal and healthy, what's happening on a cellular basis? when the body doesn't have the nutrients and the tools to heal and have a very excellent immune function, very balanced immune function. Uh, And you hear about this cytokine storm, which causes the demise and the the need for uh, support care for humans who uh, have the virus. And we need to look at 
um, emotional health and well-being, mental health and well-being, and how that helps generate uh, and play into physical health and well-being. So anxiety uh, can be very crippling. And we've known this for years, things like, you know, ulcer conditions and uh, chronic anxiety weaken immune function. Uh, You know what? I so agree with you. Before the radio show, I was talking to a friend of mine from a foundation. Uh, She's a tremendous person. And uh, when we were talking, I told her the key, I feel, obviously, this is a terrible time. This is whoever, no one envisioned this would happen. I know that I'm, I, I look at it and I think, is this for real? I mean, it's just unbelievable. What absolutely? What a disease can do. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, well, well, if I might interject, it's unbelievable what a disease can do. But it's hugely unbelievable to me what the media and press can do with this information in either inciting panic and fear or comfort and hope. And I find that so much of the time, and I'm not individually blaming anybody because obviously uh, news agencies want to sell stories. And what's the quickest way to get a response? Well, let's, let's report on the negative, the fear-inducing kinds of aspects of a disease process. But one of the things that I commented on a few days ago to a colleague is, could you imagine what would have happened in the days of the plague if we had social media uh, where... Millions upon millions of people were being wiped out. Uh, and fortunately, we're not in that situation. But the, the, the panic would have been astronomical uh, with the numbers of people passing at the time. And I am not saying it is not tragic when we lose someone, a uh, loved one, a uh, friend, relative, or when somebody is infected and they have that very strong anxiety over how is this going to uh, progress. Those are serious things. Uh, but we can do a lot to generate hope and health and uh, helpfulness to those around us who are impacted. And I think we should focus more on that to reduce the level of anxiety all around us. Well, I agree with you. Uh, what I was telling my friend that I spoke to is a key thing to me is that we communicate. We have to communicate because if we are isolated, we get all these ideas you're talking about. But we need to communicate with one another because what you said before, people need each other and they need kindness and they need, uh, you know, just to, just to, as you said, to give hope to someone. Because someone said to me the other day, someday this will be in the history books, you know, like the Spanish flu. And I said, yes, it will. And did you hear what you said? Someday it will be in the history books, meaning it will pass. (laughs) Can't be in the history books if it's still here. So it will pass. And it's hard to envision that right now. And again, I mean, it is terrible, horrible what happened to people in New York and in nursing homes. And just as you said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, that's, that's just terrible. I pray for families and people all the time, but. The choice we have to make is it's one day at a time, and so for that one day, why not have hope? Why not be kind? But it's so important to communicate with other people. I agree with you 100%. And if you just joined us, we are talking to Dr. Cynthia Morrow, and she is an awesome 
individual and veterinarian at Cranberry Holistic Pet Care. And Dr. Mara, what are the names of the other two practices you have? Um, Elwood Animal Hospital in Elwood City, Pennsylvania, and Chippewa Animal Hospital in Chippewa Township, but it is called Beaver Falls, uh, PA. And I know where both of those things are because way back, way back when I was way back in time, I was a substitute school teacher at Lincoln High School in Elwood City, which was about 15 to 20 minutes from my father's uh, garage that he owned and from my uh, grandpa and grandmother's home. Then I graduated from Geneva College in Beaver Falls, and also that's the home of the Beaver, New New Brighton Hot Dogs, that's it. New Brighton (laughs) Hot Dogs. I remember that. But they, they, I know where they are, but everyone, if you're listening, and if you want to go to one of those places and you forget where the practices are, you know how to get me at voiceamerica.com and I'll get back to you. But right now, we're going to break. Then we'll be back with... Dr. Morrow, this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you currently receiving SSDI or SSI and wanting to work? Did you know there is a free social security program called Ticket to Work to help you try work without risking your benefits? My Employment Options is an authorized SSA employment network specializing in work at home and local job placement in 47 states. Our clients receive a personal counselor to help find the best job fit and a staff certified benefits counselor for help with Ticket to Work protections. Ready to try working? Apply for free job placement help at My Employment options.com since 1985 bender consulting services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities including veterans with disabilities with private sector companies and federal government agencies bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions including those in the stem fields in addition Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We are talking today to Dr. Cynthia Morrow, uh, Cranberry Holistic Pet Care Center with two practices in Elwood, three altogether, one uh, one additional in Elwood City and one in Chippewa, plus the one in Cranberry, uh, where 
actually, that's where I go. I, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Morrow, many people, whether they go to the grocery store or whether they go to the pharmacy or anywhere, they are really, really worried about uh, COVID, you know, getting the virus very worried, uh, sometimes to an extreme level. But I wanted to ask you, what practices do you have in place if someone would get a, have an appointment and come to see you with their pet? Do they just walk in? I mean, what, what do you do? Well, right now, we are doing curbside appointments. And curbside appointments mean that when you come to the vet clinic, uh, we're actually asking people to send in a history about what's been going on with the pet to minimize how much time my staff is spending at the vehicle. Um, if it were nice outside, each of my practices has an area set up outside that we could uh, see the animal, you know, if we needed to, like car side. But it's so much easier if we can bring the animal in for its examination. So we're asking clients to send in that information, um, let us know what kind of vehicle they're driving, and uh, we're doing the car hop thing where we go out to the vehicle and one of my staff uh, will take a history, bring the pet inside, and we're doing our exam. And I, uh, I've run into a few client situations where people don't want to and they're calling it surrendering their pet. They're certainly not surrendering their, surrendering <laughs> their pet. We're just, you know, taking them on a short walk inside and taking a look at them. Um, what I have found uh, almost 100% of the time is animal anxiety is way down with the owner not in the building. And I was shocked by that initially. Uh, But we are uh, able to treat some animals that are almost unhandleable when there is a situation or has been a situation historically with kind of the hover parent thing. Uh, I have some some owners of small dogs and cats who literally throw their bodies over the animals when I'm about to do the exam, cueing the animal with the uh, information that this is going to be dangerous. So without that situation, animals are relaxing quite a bit. Um, inside the building, and we're wearing masks, and uh, we use uh, disinfectant foot baths when we're coming and going, so we're not tracking any organisms. Uh, it's, a, it's a low chance of that, but we still don't want to be tracking in and out. My staff are uh, changing into their scrubs when they arrive at work. Uh, we are wearing gloves. Uh, we use a disinfectant on our gloves because in the initial weeks uh Pretty much 100% of us had about two layers of skin left of all the layers that it started uh, because we were washing so much. So we went to glove wearing and then disinfecting our gloves. Um, And uh, everything we touch, you know, we are disinfecting because we realize that even though it's not a high chance of this, uh, objects and animals could possibly or potentially carry virus if somebody was sneezing, coughing on their animal right before we picked them up. So we do screen our clients to find out if anybody in the home, and we ask our clients to let us know if anybody's been COVID positive in the last few weeks um, because we don't want to have that uh, potential fomite spread on the animals and then uh, have us pick up organism and transmit it anywhere else. So there's huge amounts of hand washing, glove wearing. Uh, we are going through whole boxes of gloves every day in each of our practices um, because of changing of gloves frequently. If you break a glove, you change that. So lots of disinfecting and uh, a lot of screening of the client. There have been rare instances where we have allowed a client to come in with maybe an extremely aggressive or 
anxious animal uh, that may need some sedation for a procedure, and we've uh, allowed very occasional uh, clients to come into the building, and in that case, uh, they go through the foot bath, they go through the disinfecting their hands on the way in, and then we totally disinfect the exam room. But currently, we are not using our exam rooms. We're using our back treatment areas, the staging area for all physical exams. Oh, you know what? Two things. First, I never thought of that. But if someone did have the uh, COVID-19 and they sneezed, you know, onto, you know, with an animal there, with their pet there, and then you came and got it, that would... That would not be good. Now that yeah, I never thought of that before, but right. for anyone. Right. It's not a high risk, but uh, I, I'll tell you, when I go, I've limited, um, you know, where I go and how often I go anywhere else uh, over work. I try to limit how many trips I make to the grocery store through the week. Um, and I go through an elaborate sort of disinfection process that's probably a little beyond what most people are doing. But I do understand that there is a potential for people to be touching items and then me to follow. So I take some disinfectant wipes, you know, and when I get home, I leave my shoes in the garage. And uh, when I come home from work, you know, I do a quick shower also and uh, then go into the kitchen and prepare food. But, you know, I, I wipe things down when I bring them in from outside. Uh, because I think it's just a good thing to do. It's a healthy practice, I mean, for for the time that we're in. Right. Well, that's what someone said to me the other day, that they hope that one of the results of this pandemic is that people realize how important it always was to wash your hands and, you know, be observant of uh, hygienic issues. So uh, that would be a good thing, because I don't think people realized you know, that it is, there is a reason they have a sign up, wash your hands before you leave here. So, so maybe that will be something that will happen after this, this uh, pandemic. But the other thing I wanted, that I wondered about is I did wonder, gee, how would that pet be on this curbside uh, service that you have? How would the pet be when you uh, took them from the owner into the facility, would they be, you know, anxious? Would they be hard to manage? And here you're telling me it's the opposite. Yes, it is for the most part. And we do, uh, we have a lot of practices that we use. Uh, You'll hear people talk about fear-free. Before there was fear-free certification for veterinary professionals, our practices utilized many of the procedures involved with fear-free handling. Uh, We use uh, some calming essential oils, some acupressure techniques to help the animals stay more relaxed. Uh, And there's uh, techniques we use in holding that actually reduce anxiety rather than escalate it. One of my frustrations frequently because I take a lot of veterinary students into my practice for uh, training and for uh, something called externships and we do preceptorships and internships here and uh, one of the things I sometimes have to retrain is how we approach an animal when it's about to get an injection or be anesthetized for surgery and the best way to do that is to not in a stress event with your restraint technique because that those are the animals that every time they see uh, somebody in scrub 
scrubs or a white coat that freeze up, start uh, feeling terrified. I'm just petting them as I'm giving them these injections, and uh, we use the smallest needle that is possible to be used for that size animal. And in sometimes I use a like a topical um, anesthetic uh, with an essential uh, an essential oil that acts as a topical anesthetic, and then they're not even feeling. I, I have many clients who say, "Well, aren't you going to give them the shot?" when they're in the exam room with me and I have to show them the empty syringe so they believe that I gave their animal a shot as they were talking to me. I've had people say, you never even gave them the injection. What are, you, what are we doing being done? And, you know, holding that up is always proof to them that, yes, I indeed gave it. But when they don't notice, the animal behaves better also. Wow. So, in other words, what this means then, you know, when you were talking about uh, – as they have to, quote, unquote, surrender their pet, whatever that is. But when you went out, when you go to get the animal, um, if the person is the human, extremely anxious, hovering over, you're meaning that an animal can pick up this from the owner? The animal can pick up anxiety and nervousness from the owner? Yes, and so can children, because they're looking at nonverbal cues. They're not listening to words. They're listening to how your voice sounds. They're picking up on pheromones that we give off when we're fearful. And uh, certainly they get all that anxiety. And they look at, uh, dogs in particular, look at the owners as a pack leader. And when the pack leader is in fight-or-flight mode, uh, doggy will become very anxious. Uh, because uh, obviously it's the way the pack communicates. So they'll either want to run away or sometimes become combative if an owner is in that state uh, where they're starting to say, well, what do you mean you're going to take my dog? Or nobody told me this was going to be happening. Uh, even though, by the way, we're sending out emails and we have a, a something <laughs> called a pet desk app and we're telling everybody this is happening, uh, it's amazing when people are in a high-stress situation with a sick pet that they don't notice these kinds of things and, and uh, I am wondering if some of these folks have been out of their house for the last two months when they've arrived and said, uh, what do you mean you're taking my pet? Can I go inside? And, you know, we have to have a discussion. But when a person goes into that mode where they want to be combative, the animal will often have a heightened uh, state of awareness of events and, and be in fear mode. Wow. There you go, folks. Don't do it. You're passing that on. You're passing it on. And I want to say, when you said about um, children, I heard Marlo Thomas speak. This was years ago at Carlo uh, University, which I was on the board at Carlo. And she was speaking, and she said, always remember, there's a little girl watching. And I never forgot that. Of course, it could be a little girl, a little boy, but Carla is mainly a woman's college, so she was trying to connect. But that is so true that children watch you, and they hear you, and they model you. Um, And you have to remember that. For example, right now, if you are in panic about, oh, my goodness, people are dying, I'm going to die, I'm going to get this. But if you're in that high panic state, your children will pick that up from you. Don't you agree with that, Dr. Morrow? Absolutely. I I see it even in the office when kids are watching. Uh, They will often mirror their parents. 
And so there you go. Keep that in mind. So, Dr. Morrow, here's something I read about. I think it was from CDC that I read about this. Um, the problem was seeing an increase in pets being taken to shelters because the uh, owners, you know, were enduring such financial hardship that that's what they did. Have you seen that happening? Well, I, even though I do some work with uh, three area county shelters, I have not been uh, there in the recent uh, weeks. So, I do believe there are some people giving up their pets, but I think more frequently what's happening is in older pets and in farm animals, uh, people are noticing because they're home more, uh, the animal's condition that perhaps they were not noting so carefully previously. And I have seen an increase in euthanasias of animals that have been sort of going along with uh, a state of decline and with people with busy lifestyles and taking children to all of their events and, you know, their work and all the, the extracurricular activities. Some of these animals, I think, were actually, I don't want to say being neglected or ignored, but on some level, the gravity of their health decline was not being noted. And I do think that's part of the increased busyness of the veterinary practices that are remaining open uh, is that people are taking note of what's going on that's wrong, and uh, we are seeing some people finally making that decision for euthanasia that previously may have been too immersed in other life events to really note what, what the quality of life of the pet was. I have heard reports, in, especially in large markets, of shelters being a little overwhelmed. I, I'm hoping that's leveled off. Um, you know, between stimulus checks and uh, I, I see jobs available almost everywhere I'm going and people are hiring. I know we are here for every position we have available. So I know that, uh, you know, that, that it, some of this is easing up the financial burden. I'm not going to tell you all of it has, uh, but some of it is easy. It appears in our market to be easing up. Well, that's good. That's good news. Well, you know how you, uh, we humans don't listen. We're supposed to go get a physical and, you know, three years pass and, uh uh-oh, wait, I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to get a physical. Um, What about with your pet? What do, do you, when you talk to owners, do you make recommendations to them about, what they should be doing for their pet health-wise and coming to see uh, a doctor such as yourself? Yes. Actually, um, if I were just doing uh, straight Western conventional care, I feel very strongly that just like for human children, when a pet is in that under one year of age um, uh, phase of life, uh, they should be seen because they're going through rapid growth. They should be having developmental exams regularly. And usually that's every three to four weeks uh, for about the first four to five months. Now, I'm going to say, I want to clarify this. There are many veterinary practices that operate as vaccine and spay and neuter clinics. What people are going in for is a vaccination. I feel strongly that if your pet is bonded with you and you want to do true preventive and wellness care, vaccines are not the only part of that. Good nutrition, good uh, spinal alignment and neurology are very important. So when we do developmental exams here uh, in my offices, I recommend that uh, we do some um, 
uh, animal chiropractic or spinal manipulation appointments because that assures better hip and joint and spinal uh, development when we're being attentive to that. And some of my new clients will say, well, he doesn't need an adjustment. He's not having any pain. He jumps off the couch. Well, if we wait until an animal displays pain, usually there's been years of degenerative condition going on because animals are not laying around saying, oh, I'm in pain. I can't go anywhere. Think about the people you know who have some severe health problems that never complain. They go to work and they walk normally. Um, animals uh, seem to have, in general, a much better uh, tolerance for uh, minor pain. And if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, uh, if you were holding back the pack by laying around and crying in pain, that meant the pack would, became a target or you became a target within the pack. So animals are much better about uh, not displaying pain. So I recommend frequent visits during that first year of life to assure good development. And then on the back side, on the, uh, on the end stages of life, I'm seeing some patients uh, maybe once a month for maintenance, animal chiropractic, and non-drug pain control. And some of that's muscular therapy. Some of that is uh, acupuncture. Uh, and that is not a hard and fast rule. But uh, we want the animals to have as high a quality of life as possible. In general, though, for those uh, you know, adult years of life when the animal is healthy and active at least twice a year for an exam, for a wellness exam. And sometimes that does not include vaccinations because vaccines prevent infectious diseases, but they don't address, address musculoskeletal health, nutrition, and other developmental issues and aging issues. So... Uh, that's that's a synopsis on what I recommend. And I do recommend, and I will point this out, uh, more than just a blood count and a blood profile in monitoring and being proactive about health. We do cancer risk assessment exams, uh, evaluative blood work. We also uh, do nutritional assays uh, and make recommendations for dietary changes. I, I look at uh, the tissue minerals and heavy metals uh, that animals may be accumulating, which is a big deal in the Pittsburgh uh, market. And, um, you know, but it is all over. Uh, nutrition for all of us, humans and animals, has suffered uh, for the way that we now produce our food substances. So uh, wellness is much more, wellness care is much more involved in our veterinary clinics. Yes. Best vet period. This woman <laughs> is phenomenal. I mean, she is awesome. So if you're listening to the show and you are in Western Pennsylvania, let's have your phone number here, Dr. Morrow. What's your phone number? And we'll start with Wexford. Wexford. Uh, or Cranberry. Yeah, Cranberry is 724- I'm sorry, Cranberry. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. 724-742-3200. And then Elwood City is 724-758-8882. And Chippewa Township is 724-847. Seven nine eight eight, but if anybody missed that, you can search the names of the clinics, and we have Facebook pages, and we also have websites for each of those clinics that talk a little bit more about the services we provide. Okay, that is excellent uh, because I know a lot of people will be asking me, um, and I would. You know, I don't endorse many, but I endorse her and I endorse this practice. As a matter of fact, she will soon be seeing 
my neighbor, like as soon as she's done with this show, she'll be seeing <laughs> my neighbor that I referred. So her little pet, Chloe, you'll be meeting Chloe in a very short time period. But I would recommend anyone to you. I think you are just the best of the best. And that's why I wanted you on today. And listen, you're listening. You think, oh, my goodness, I wish all these other people had heard this. So you know what to do. Go to Spotify or Apple and subscribe to my show, Disability Matters with Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com, and you'll be able to get it, and then you can send that podcast to anyone you want or make them aware of it. So, Dr. Morrow, in closing, I have to ask you, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Uh, This is the hardest question for me to answer, because I don't really feel like I'm special in any way. I mean, beyond what anybody else is. We all have our gifts, we have our strengths, and we have our weaknesses, and goodness knows I'm human. But uh, as far as my greatest accomplishment, here's what I love about what I do. And it often happens when we're considering, because I treat chronic cases, life and death situations for animals. When I can impact somebody's life and their outlook and perspective on life and death, um, I feel a great sense of fulfillment. And uh, I, if I have time, I'd like to tell a quick example, a very short story that happened about three to four years ago. Um, do I have a moment? Do we have a little You time? have. You have two okay. minutes. <laughs> okay, I can do that. So okay. uh, it was a client that I had known since 1988, and he was in his 80s, early 80s, but a very vibrant man, and his companion that he took to work. He was a tradesperson. He took this dog to work every day. Uh, He had cancer. And this gentleman said to me, if this dog dies, I don't think I want to go on. Now, I also knew many of his family members and his wife. And uh, we had a very long talk about love and the lesson that that animal was sharing with him, even as we spoke about his, uh, you know, uh, his decline, the dog's decline because of the cancer. And he really shifted his perspective to one of hope. And I said, this dog is teaching you everything about love and parting graciously and not holding on to a body that is failing. And, but he's also taught you how to love unconditionally. And maybe it's time to transfer some of those feelings he shared, take them in as your own and transfer those to those people who have disappointed and failed you in ways that you have not forgiven or let go of. Now, I've, I find, I mean, I don't have this relationship with every single client, but I find it beautiful when we have that uh, very, very wonderful, open kind of conversation. And uh, he made a big shift, and it after his pet passed, uh, he thanked me, and uh, his wife later thanked me because it kind of opened up and renewed a, a more intimate relationship between the two of them, more emotionally intimate. And so often, uh, we could be using our relationships with our animals as a model for the relationships we have with the humans in our lives. And I think if I can help somebody towards that perspective, that is a truly beautiful thing. I will tell you what, I can't think of a more beautiful ending to my radio show than that. And I will say this quote, we can judge the heart of a man by his treatment of animals, said Emmanuel Kant. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, 
where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't forget Dr. Cynthia Morrow. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.